Coming up on Stu Does America. I know we're all feeling a lot of righteous outrage right now about the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. That's justified and good. But maybe setting our communities on fire isn't the best response. Just a theory. I'm testing it out. Then Kevin Freeman joins me to talk about the dirty business China is up to. And Drew Holden of The Resurgent joins us to look at China and Minnesota. You can get every episode of the show by going to YouTube and searching for Stu. Now subscribe to the first channel you see. I'm so confident it's the one for this stupid show that I'm putting it all on the line just so you'll click the little bell and get notifications every time we post a new video. Now that you've had some practice typing my name, head to blazetv.com slash stew and make sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 10 bucks on your Blaze TV subscription. One thing we can all understand is that Andrew Cuomo is the worst governor in the country. Now is the time to show it together. Go to stewdoesmerch.com right now and get one of our brand new Andrew Cuomo is awful mugs. Cheap and poignant. I believe there's a t-shirt version uh, available as well if you feel like buying one and hanging out by the front entrance of CNN. Stu does America. Everyone loves ice cream. Everyone loves puppies. Everyone knows Andrew Cuomo is awful. And everyone thinks that kneeling on a restrained man's neck for 10 minutes is just a horrible thing to do. And by everyone, I mean everyone. I, I don't mean Twitter everyone, because yes, you can probably find some rando on Twitter who thinks George Floyd deserved it. In fact, you can find pretty much every opinion presented in every possible way on Twitter. That doesn't make it real life. I mean, some people are lactose intolerant. Some people are allergic to puppies. I have heard literally zero commenters, experts, politicians, or even police unions arguing on behalf of the officer in question. It's such a rare thing to happen in America today. We are all united on this one. Everybody thinks this was an unjust death and justice must be served. So what better way to memorialize this rare occurrence than to burn down the local auto zone. <laughs> yes, I know you're with me on that one. There's no larger source for racial strife in this country than the spark plug. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Pennzoil and turtle wax have got to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho. I think that's how it goes. I don't know. Of course, just burning down an auto zone won't bring racial justice by itself, unfortunately. You have to make sure to trash every nearby auto parts store. Wonderful. Oh, what a great approach here. Now none of us can fix our automobiles. Good job, everybody. <laughs> Victory is within our grasp. But before we can know that we've truly conquered the scourge of racism, it's always important to make sure your local target looks like it just opened in Beirut. And you never know when the man is going to show up and try to stop you from achieving justice. They're just sly and sneaky, you know. Sometimes they even dress up like old people walking in parking lots. You might say it was wrong to attack an elderly man walking in a parking lot, but to that I say, why do you hate black people? Think about it. 
And what better way to stick it to the white man than to pick a neighborhood in the middle of Ilan Omar's congressional district and destroy the place where its residents get their food? I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions on anyone who caused the damage in these videos. I don't think they're actually making rational decisions at all. I don't think they're actually trying to help the movement or a cause. I don't think they're thinking at all. Certainly not about anyone other than themselves. The cure for racial strife is not the latest 4K unit from Samsung. I sincerely doubt there was anyone out there looting the stores that served the community that cared one little bit about justice for George Floyd. They cared about stealing things. They cared about making their Netflix look better. Someone who cares about the underlying issue of George Floyd's death doesn't act like this. Somebody who cares about their community doesn't act like this. What is the result of what we're looking at? You destroy the local target where your neighbor buys the formula for their child? You destroy an affordable housing development that was under construction so no one in your community can benefit from a new building? For the love of all that is good and holy, you destroy a Wendy's? The place with Frosties? You're burning down a place that makes delicious, chocolatey, frozen treats? Right before summer? What sense does this make? That's not to say there weren't some good things amidst the chaos. For example, these two dudes. Now, I know nothing about these two guys outside of this video. And I know as soon as I play it, the internet is going to milkshake duck them to death. But I love their spirit. So basically, you've seen the records that cops keep. And cops are a lot less likely to try and tread on people's rights when there's other armed Americans with them. So we figured it's about damn time that some, or at least I figure that it's about damn time some heavily armed rednecks stood with fellow citizens. Here we go. A couple of guys, a couple heavily armed rednecks taking their Second Amendment and trying to do good with it. I know you're going to try and ruin them somehow, Internet. I know you're going to do it. But for this glorious moment, let's hear from my two possibly temporary, possibly temporary favorite people. We heard that. We're like, well, we, we better we better kid up and go see if these guys need help. And it turns out these guys are out here with machetes and shattered windows trying to keep looters out of the business because cops can't get in here. And so, you know, I figure before they were cops, they were just Americans. So here we are. Already out during the L.A. riots. Or during the L.A. riots. Collateral damage, Everyone I guess. Everyone protecting their own stuff. That's where you only got term rooftop Korean. So bottom line, just for Floyd. And uh, I hope they stop looting at some point. If there were more of us, we could go stop them from looting. But it's just us four. Yeah, we definitely don't agree with the looting. Yeah, no, looting. But we do agree with the cause for the protest. Right? Yeah, definite protest. They support the protests, but they oppose the looting. And they're not alone. They just happen to have big enough guns to not worry about standing around and talking about it. Defending these businesses is more than just important to the business owners today. The damages to the community will last for decades to come. If I were to tell you I was open up a little coffee shop in Ferguson, what would cross your mind? I bet your first thought would be about the riots and whether it was safe to do business there. I mean, if I told you I bought a cute little condo in Watts, you'd be thinking about an event that happened 55 years ago. Answering an unjust killing by punishing your own community for years to come is not justice. Look, you know, murders happen every day. 
It's a sad reality of the human experience. Sometimes it's a white cop killing a black man. Sometimes it's a black man killing a white cop. We don't blame the groups. We blame the individual. In America, we've developed the best system anyone has come up with, at least, to deal with these crimes. Our justice system is far from perfect, but it is a hell of a lot better than punishing Wendy's for a crime some cop committed. And that's just where we are in this story. There are only three things our system can do. The criminal can be fired. Check. That one's done already. The criminal can be arrested. The criminal can be convicted. Right? That's what we can do. I would expect number two and three to come pretty soon. But noticeably unavailable as an option is bringing George Floyd back to life. That might not be fair, but it is definitely not the fault of Target. Or AutoZone. Or Wendy's or Cub Foods, or the affordable housing development that was under construction, or the Seven Sigma building, or the Dollar Tree, or the T-Mobile store, or the Speedway, or the Precision Tune Auto Care, or the U.S. Bank, or Dairy Queen, or Papa Murphy's Pizza, or Domino's Pizza, or Urban Forage Winery and Cider House, or Gandhi Mahal Restaurant, or Car X Tire and Auto, or Ace Hardware, or Minnesota Transitions Charter School, or Laundromax, or Soderberg's Floral and Gift, or Seward Pharmacy, or Walgreens, or Schooner's Tavern, or Midtown Global Market, or Breva Health, or Foot Locker, or Studio 23, or Uptown Pawn, or La Familia Skate Shop, or Hamdi Restaurant, or Hudson's Hardware, or Birchwood Cafe, or CVS, or Timberland, or Sonny's, or Thurston's Jewelers, or Banadier Pharmacy, or Sephora, or GameStop, or H&M, or the Apple Store, or Urban Outfitters, or Town Talk Diner, or O'Reilly Auto Parts, or yet another AutoZone, or the East Lake Library, all of which were damaged or destroyed just last night. I ask you, is that how George Floyd gets justice? Well, if you're like me, you've had a, a, little, had a little bit of a, a bad stretch with your eating. During quarantine, uh, the quarantine 19, kind of a real thing for me. Uh, Fast Blast, however, is also a real thing, thankfully. And it's helping me now take off the weight I've been putting on the last few uh, weeks. Uh, it's like it hasn't been pretty. But fasting uh, and intermittent fasting is what Fast Blast is all about. It increases your metabolism, makes it easier to lose weight and keep it off. While some diets, you know, they can actually slow your metabolism. You don't want that to happen. I've lost like six pounds so far. I'm just starting out. Honestly, I need more than that. Uh, the Fast Blast smoothie makes it a lot easier because they, you know, it bridges the gap. You know, there's a couple days a week where you do some fasting. Um, sometimes you eat in windows. You know, you know, you're not eating all the time. You're not constantly snacking. It's a little bit different than maybe the style you're, uh, you're used to eating. But if you're like me, the style you're used to eating sucks. 
it basically is making you fat. That's what it is for me, at least. So when I switch it up and I do it this way, I lose weight fast. And that's the thing I love about Fast Blast. If you do it this way, you get the easy squeezable pouch that they have for the smoothies. It's nice and easy, no calorie counting, no carb counting. Um, and you lose the weight fast. You notice the pounds coming off the scale pretty much every day. Be smart about it. Do your own homework. Make sure it's right for you. You can learn more about fasting at fastblast.com blaze. And as always, the slash blaze part is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Get, uh, get started today with Fast Blast for a healthier, happier, and smaller you. It's fastblast.com slash blaze. Life is cheap in China. It's one of the many lessons we've learned from the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm uh, absolutely talking about the lives of Chinese citizens who are all too often discarded by their government for frivolous reasons. But I'm also talking about the Chinese government's entire valuation of life. They've proven that to them, human lives are expendable. It's pretty clear. Also, we've learned once again that the Chinese government should not be trusted at all, ever. But how do we make that clear? How do we pull off the seemingly impossible task of severing ties with an oppressive government that is very involved in our economy? With me today to discuss it is Kevin Freeman, host of the Economic War Room right here on Blaze TV. Kevin, thanks for coming in, man. I appreciate it. Oh, always good to be with you, Stu. We are in a really tough situation. Now, as a, you know this stuff much better than I do, but as an outsider looking at this, China is right now very closely tied to us economically. And I mean, I look at this and I, I, I'm pissed about what has happened over the past six months with China, how they've lied to us about uh, the, the entire situation, how they continue to lie to us today. I I, you know, I, my instinct is just, I just want revenge. Um, probably not the smart way to think about it. What is the smart way to think about it? Well, first, we've got to get the historical context. You know, everybody talks about the Russia collusion with President Trump. Right. Go back to uh, 1996. Charlie Tree, who is a Little Rock restaurant, Chinese restaurant owner, funneled money from the Chinese Communist Party into the Democrat National Committee and the Clinton campaign. And this is not conspiracy theory. The L.A. Times, the New York Times, the Washington Post all did mm -hmm. this, admitted it. And they had to give the money back. They were caught red-handed. But what were they buying? They were buying American politicians. And then they started buying American universities with Confucius Institutes and sending over uh, so many students. And they've essentially uh, infiltrated our economy, our companies. Oh, we'll give you, if you come to China, we'll give you access to this huge market. So over the past 20 plus years, the Chinese have been in really getting into our markets, getting into our economy, making us think, oh, they're better than us almost. They're better capitalists. No, all of it's a lie. And the lies have begun to be exposed just the past year or two. So are we in a Cold War with China at this point? It feels well, that way sometimes. We've been in a war with China since 1999 when they published a book titled Unrestricted Warfare. And they talked about how do you beat a superpower? And for that 21 year period, they've been at war with us. We haven't recognized it until recently, and it wasn't overt and obvious until uh, Xi Jinping came into power. Mm. It does seem like currently our administration takes China very seriously. Obviously, Trump has been all over this. Pompeo has is, is, been a long-term uh, guy on this story as well. Um, are we doing enough? Do we have a plan here uh, to, if it's, we're in a Cold War, how do we win it? Well, we actually pulled together a committee on the present danger. And knowing history, you, you know that we had one of those that supported President Reagan. Mm -hmm. and the committee on the present danger talked about the communist threat. Sure. And he relied on them heavily. 
Well, a Committee on the Present Danger was formed uh, last year with Steve Bannon and Frank Gaffney and myself and Kyle Bass. I, I don't know if Kyle's an official member, but uh, a group of us who got together and said, China's a big threat, what do we do? And we've been preparing plans and we produced a number of them. One of them was to stop the thrift savings plan of the United States from investing in Chinese stocks. Now we're talking about removing all Chinese stocks that don't follow our accounting rules completely from our markets. And then, of course, Secretary Pompeo yesterday just declared that uh, Hong Kong is no longer to be considered autonomous. These are the right kind of actions that we need to take. Yeah, and the Hong Kong thing is a huge story. And, and look, I understand in America we've got a lot of stuff going on right, right now. Uh, there's a lot of focuses uh, that we need to have. But this is one of them. I mean, Hong Kong is the, the, bright spot, the bright spot. I mean, it's a big economic factor for us and all around the world. Uh, you know, these people are being left to be trampled by by, you know, central uh, government in China. And it doesn't seem like the world is stepping up. Are we stepping up? Well, we are to a certain degree. And what we've got to keep in mind is this is unfortunately like 1938. If you read the newspapers, if you read the, the output from the Chinese Communist Party, they know we're at war and they're preparing for the conflict. And they want to have the conflict completed by 2025 because they figure the world takes 20 years to forget things like yeah. we forgot 9-11. Mm -hmm. And they want to dominate the world by 2045. That's their 100-year master plan. And so they've got to have everything done. We're beginning to step up, but, but we're right now, I think, 1938. And you look at Joe Biden as a candidate, that guy is like, like electing Neville Chamberlain. In fact, he's the reason that nice. Chinese stocks are throughout our market, because in 2013, he forced a memo of understanding between our PCAOB, the, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, and the SEC and China that says, oh yeah, you can come on our markets, but you don't have to let us have access to your accounting, which has led to outright fraud like Luke and Coffee, where investors lost millions of dollars and more, many, many other frauds that have been on the, on the exchanges. People have lost money, but worse, it's meant that we've taken $3 trillion from Americans and put it into Chinese companies and Chinese bonds. Because the coffee company in particular, they've just made up hundreds of millions of dollars of sales oh, that yeah. didn't even occur, right? I mean, Absolutely, this is and there was no fraud. way to tell because right. we didn't have access to their accounting. That's they amazing. violated Sarbanes-Oxley, but we specifically exempted them from that. And then the Chinese passed a law, the Chinese government says that our accounting is a state secret and therefore you have no right to see it. It really is egregious. You know, it, it's tough because you look at the you look at the the global situation. The pandemic is a really good example of it, right? Where it would be great if we could get along with these countries and they would be sensible and 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 everyone would act in each other's best interest. We know that's not reality, but sharing information is 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 important when it comes to a medical issue like this. You know, I'm I'm I, I'm a free trader. I, I I think there's a lot of great benefits from it. It seems to be at, at this point. It seems like the administration looks at this as we love free trade, but these guys are an exception because they are not they're not participating in it. Is that the right way to read this? Absolutely. In fact, uh, when they knew there was a pandemic, they knew it was human to human transmission. Mm -hmm. They stopped airplane flights out of uh, Wuhan into Beijing, but they allowed them for the rest of the world. Then they sopped up all of the personal protection equipment around the world and then they sold us faulty masks. They have a game plan for this pandemic and they're waging it right now as warfare against us. We just haven't recognized it yet. Mm. I know you've been talking about this on Economic War Room and that's something everyone needs to check out. If you're a Blaze TV member, make sure you watch uh, every episode. Let me uh, f focus a little bit back on the, the near term 
U.S. economy. 40 million people out of work now over that number. Uh, one out of every four uh, people were in the workforce out of work uh, being laid off. It's nothing like this has ever been seen. We had a number that came out yesterday or was it this morning? 2.1 million more uh, on the unemployment rolls. And I actually looked at it. I was like, oh, great. Like, oh, we're doing a lot better. And then I caught myself. It's like this is one of the worst weeks in U.S. history. And we're already desensitized enough to make it look like it's good. Can this thing turn around like some people think it can? You know, the stock market is reflecting that it will turn around. Mm -hmm. It seems a little aggressive to me because the reality of it is, is the companies aren't earning money. So you see uh, Carnival Cruise Lines, it's going up, but nobody's going on a cruise ship. And the economy, it's going to take a while for us to get through this. There's no doubt. Uh, you can't just automatically start. And if you put your capacity at a restaurant of 50% of what full capacity is, then you won't be making profits. You'll just be losing less money. Right. Because, I mean, you're what? In a restaurant's 3 to 5% profit margin, probably. You get a, you're, you're doing 50% capacity. There's no way you're making money. Doing no, that. but you're maybe losing less and you're just hanging on, hoping that you can get through. Yeah. I mean, because is that what the, is that the plan here? Because I think there's, there's nobody who's thinking they can make money at 50% capacity. Is the idea that maybe we're cutting down the government's expenditure to bridge the gap uh, with these places opening? Is it, I mean, because we've spent what, four or five trillion dollars. We've got all this money from the Fed that's been uh, lent out, trillions and trillions of dollars. There is a limit to this, right, Kevin? Like, this isn't, we can't do this, you know, until the end of time. Yeah, you jump ahead to what the Chinese next plan is, mm. is to displace the dollar as the reserve currency of the world. I don't know that they can do it. I don't know that they have the capacity or whatever. But you read their internal writings, and they say that the U.S. dollar is under threat. We have too much debt. And they're pushing that narrative around the world. Is there something to the idea, this has been thrown around for a very long time, that we borrow all this money, from, and a lot of it comes from China. And at some point, they can decide, you know what, uh, they, can, they can start doing all sorts of things behind the scenes, whether it's the reserve currency, uh, you know, not buying our debt anymore, all of these levers they have. It feels like that arrangement leads to them having too much control of us. Is that true? Are those steps things that they can are there steps that they can take now to really put the hurt on now that we're already in trouble? I think they lost that opportunity because they were a much larger percentage of our overall debt uh, 10 years ago. Okay. Now they've got about a trillion dollars. We they have about three trillion dollars of our money. So they'd actually be hurt very badly. Who would they sell the debt to? Right. It has it. How's it going to hurt them? So uh, the, the reality of it is there is a debt reckoning coming. I don't think China can create it, but China is certainly pointing to it. Right. OK, so the, it is possible, but it's not it, it's not as simple as it's described. Sometimes, I don't think but. they have the capacity to pull that off at one point, maybe seven, eight, ten years ago. They they could have really hurt us. I don't think they have that capacity any longer, but that doesn't mean there's not a reckoning coming. You, when you have $30 trillion in debt, and we essentially do, it's not reported yet, but we've made so many commitments that we're going to fast approach $30 trillion. We've passed 25 just like that. There is a reckoning coming, and we have to address it. It's scary. Uh, you can learn a lot more of this in real depth with Kevin Freeman. He's the host of Blaze TV's Economic War Room. Thanks for coming on the program, Kevin. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, watch all of Kevin's episodes and uh, the show, you know, episodes of the show with the Blaze TV subscription today. Head to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And you'll save 10 bucks as well. Back in a second.
We have a different policy, I, I think, than Twitter on this. You know, I, I just believe strongly that uh, that Facebook shouldn't be uh, the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online. Um, I think in general, private companies probably shouldn't be, or especially these platform companies, shouldn't be in the position of, of, of doing that. He doesn't look like one of the richest people in the world, does he? I don't know, but maybe he is. Um, it's interesting to hear his point there because his point is completely accurate. Now, I don't know that Facebook has lived up to that standard, but yes, I, it's totally true. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, WeChat, TikTok, none of them should be the, none of them should be the arbiters of truth. It's not their job. Their job is to post things and, and little pictures and memes and, and you look at stuff and get some information on there and you make your day a little bit better or more likely a lot worse. And then it's over. That's what it should be. It's a way to keep in contact. I think he's right there. And I, I do think that that's the standard uh, that should be adopted by these companies. There's an interesting thing going on. The president had a executive order today about uh, how these social media companies can operate. And a lot of it was focused on the idea that uh, it can't be there's this publisher versus platform argument. And, you know, it's it's a it's a very muddy waters, I got to say, because, you know, uh, the, the idea that Twitter can put something up on their platform. I know me as a free market guy. I to me, I say if they want to put up if they want to delete every post that a conservative puts up there, they can do that. It's their freaking company. Right. A lot of people say, well, you know, there's too much uh, there's too much influence there. We can't let that happen. And if, you, if, if they want to do that, fine. But there's a Section 230 issue. I got to say, and maybe we do, we'll do this after my vacation uh, and, and go into the Section 230 thing in depth. A lot of the stuff that certain politicians have been talking about, uh, particularly in the Republican Party, mostly, they don't seem to actually be in this bill. <laughs> the whole Section 230 thing, the law, it doesn't seem to actually contain some of the things that they keep saying it contains, which is a little troubling. Uh, we're going to go through all of that maybe uh, after vacation. I will say the Internet does occasionally bring good things. John Krasinski brought a show during quarantine called Some Good News. I don't know if you watched it. Kind of a cool story. Just at, kind of really out of nowhere. Had his daughters design the sign that was behind him. Told some good news stories during quarantine when everything was miserable. And everybody watched it. It was just a huge, huge success. And it was great. Well, of course, we have to ruin things because that's what the Internet does. Now they're complaining because John Krasinski sold the show and the rights to the show to CBS. Why is that a problem? Well, they're saying he's cashing in on good news, and now he's not even going to host the show anymore. I mean, first of all, the guy, I, he's Jack Ryan. He's got a job already. Okay, He's, he's, he's fighting spies and such. That's, that's his, that's his full-time gig. And why are we going to, like, he, he came up with a good, we finally have a place to make money with good news instead of crappy news. Shouldn't we be excited about this? No, we have to ruin it, and, and he has to be criticized. Look, I, I'm not critical of him at all. Good. He deserves every di Just even for The Office, we should be paying him more for back episodes. I love John Krasinski. I love that whole cast. And they get to as much money as they want. Back in a second. The SAT and ACT are often thought of as sort of simply kind of inconvenient tests that students have to give up a Saturday and take a few times junior and senior year. In reality, though, they are the two most powerful forces driving the curriculum in the United States today. You know, high schools teach to these tests. And there's no question the College Board is a far left organization. They own the SAT. They had Bernie Sanders op eds in the SAT. Is that cool? I don't think it's cool. Good news is there is a new option. Uh, they're taking on the SAT and the ACT. It's called the Classic Learning Test, or the CLT. 
It's been around for over four years. It's already been adopted by uh, more than 200 colleges. This final CLT uh, exam of the year is June 20th. Uh, it's rapidly approaching uh, with the SAT and ACT canceled with all the COVID stuff. The CLT has really stepped up. They said, you can do this at home. Let's make this happen. We're not going to let students fall through the cracks. June 20th, uh, if you want to get the seats, they're limited now. Uh, they're going away quickly. Don't let your kid get tortured by Bernie Sanders op-eds and have to deal with the SAT. Get them registered for the June 20th official college entrance exam. Visit cltexam.com. It's cltexam.com. Register now, cltexam.com. President Trump's coronavirus task force press conferences have been interesting, to say the least, over the last couple of months. Uh, besides the fact that they, you know, Trump essentially treats, treats them like a replacement for his rallies, basically. Uh, the main takeaway for most of this is, uh, wow, these journalists are really annoying and incompetent. And are they really the best reporters in the country? Uh, seriously? Is that, is that true? We've seen their belligerence up close, uh, the way they ask aggressively dumb questions half the time and then try to talk over the president as he's trying to answer. They love accusing him of racism, even though they were the ones who were really coining the terms Wuhan virus and China virus. Uh, that's kind of how it started. Terms they use for months, only to flip into he's a racist mode the moment Trump said them. Uh, all of which works uh, in Trump's favor, I think, at the end of the day, maybe. But, you know, at what cost? It can't be good for the institution of journalism and, and all of its high ideals. And I have no idea where they even have a line or if there's a line that exists anymore. Drew Holden is here to help us wade through all of the muck because there is a lot of it. Drew writes for The Resurgent and uh, as a public affairs consultant and commentary writer in Washington. Uh, he is a former Republican congressional staffer in the House of Representatives as well. Drew, uh, you've watched the reaction to China and, and the way the media has decided to cover their response, which was a brutal lockdown of an authoritarian regime, basically. Right. And then you see praise by our government or our media um, by, about their response. It's, it's perplexing. It is. Uh, and, you know, it's I think one of the things that gets completely lost in so much of it is their response it kicked off the world's response. The United States and other countries, we can only respond as well as the information that we're given. And so they have these rolling, completely inhumane blackouts. They're threatening these black mirror-esque, you know, social standing issues of people who refuse to get testing and pulling all these different levers. And it's entirely lost on people that this isn't normal. This isn't okay. No country should be behaving like that. Yeah, it's interesting because I think you could make a, a legitimate argument that when you're talking about a pandemic, it would be wonderful if you were running a country to have the powers of an authoritarian regime. It's the one time sure. it would be just great. You could do whatever you want. And, yeah, you can probably stop a pandemic doing it. It shouldn't be yeah. something that's entertained as worth the trade off, though. And I feel like there is a little bit of that at the bottom of this somewhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I think it's more than a little bit. I mean, I remember a couple months ago there were there's one story in The Atlantic and another I think that CNN Asia ran. That both said, hey, you know what? There's two kind of models here. You've got the U.S. model. You've got the Chinese model. And it sure looks like the Chinese model is doing better because they're testing more people. They're disappearing doctors. I mean, they've got millions of ethnic minorities who are in concentration camps. None of those calculations make it into the equation anywhere. It's just, ah, they've done more testing. Yeah, I think there's a lot more to it uh, than that. You know, I, you, you kind of watched that happen. And what's really pissed me off about this whole thing is uh, is the fact that we still are not getting legitimate data 
from China. Absolutely. You know, I mean, like, I understand that. I don't think uh, that China, you know, intentionally released this thing by any means. You know, it most likely came sure. through a pangolin or something and, and, and is, is natural. There's a, there's a theory that maybe it has to do with a mistaken release from a lab. But I don't blame China for that. I do blame China, though, yeah. for keeping us in the dark because our, even Dr. Burks is standing on stage going like, yeah, we had no idea this was coming like this because China was not giving us the real information. Exactly. And they, they've lied at every single turn. I mean, you they didn't let CDC personnel in, they didn't let WHO personnel in. And so we really had no idea, right? I mean, I, there's there's a recent media trope about how uh, this virus came to us from Europe. I think it was Governor Cuomo yes. who was calling it the European virus, mm. right? The whole reason was because China was, was concealing all the information about the virus and where their travelers were going. And so unfortunately, by... For things like this, my understanding, and right, obviously, I'm no, I'm no medical expert, but those those minutes and days and hours are incredibly crucial at the start of this thing in order to try and better understand where it's going. Because once it's reached the U.S. shores, once you have a few different cases, it's a lot harder to contain. We lost all of that. All of that went out the window with China's lies. Yeah, you know, the easiest thing to do to beat something like this seems to be catch it super early. Right. Like if you can catch it early and you can, there's a lot of different approaches when you get to a place where we were with New York and, and, and various areas around the country, there's really not much you can do other than hold your breath and try to minimize the damage. Um, yeah. There's been a lot of talk about how, uh, you know, maybe we try the South Korean approach or the approach they've tried in Hong Kong. And there's some various various parts of that are, are interesting, but it is a struggle, I will say, to try to deal with something like this. As a guy who loves the Constitution and loves the freedoms that it provides, it's not the most compatible document with trying to control the pandemic. You know, <laughs> yeah. it really is. It is a challenge. And, and I, I have some sympathy for the government trying to walk that line because I'm sure it's tempting. And it's happened around the world where people just cross these lines like crazy and just let everything go. Yep. Absolutely. You know, I think that one of the biggest things we see is that there is that 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 push against a lot of constitutional freedoms, because the whole point of the Constitution, in a lot of ways, is it gunks up the ability of the federal government and even sometimes state governments to make these wide sweeping China autocratic like uh, maneuvers. And so, yes, absolutely. Is it more difficult? It's it's meant to be more difficult. It's meant to prevent the government from moving too quickly on a lot of different things. And that definitely does butt up against you know, the, the concerns that people have from a, from a medical and, and public health perspective. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, change gears a little bit here. The, the other, one of the big stories of the week was this George Floyd situation, which is just, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely horrific. I, I, I before we get <sighs> yeah. into the details on it, I keep thinking to myself, am I missing something? All I see is a, is what I would call murder. I don't know legally whether it is or not. I, I mean, I know those things, yeah. those lines are difficult, but I can't see any justification for the actions at all. Is there anything that I'm missing there on that front? You know, I'm not seeing it either. I've I've been pretty outspoken on this one. I think of late, um, but there's been another video that's come out that again doesn't doesn't really show him doing anything. And I I'm not seeing anything else. Obviously, we need to have an investigation. There should be a trial if that's appropriate. Um, but I think the the video is jarring because it it is simply jarring. Like it it simply strikes you across the face because you are witnessing the death of a human being. Uh, for for really no reason, right? I mean, the the thing that really gets me, I think, is you know this gentleman. What he is accused of, supposedly, is using a counterfeit twenty dollar bill at a corner store. Mm-hmm. That man did not get to come home to see his family that night because of that. Uh, you know, it's jarring, as as you point out. I, and like, there are times, right, where 
um, a story can start like that on something innocent that escalates into something that gets worse and and, and, and sure. the control of the situation is lost. But the control of the situation was not lost here. This guy is on the ground. He's motionless. At so one point he passes out for multiple minutes. He still has a knee on his neck. I just it, it's yeah. hard to get past. And I can understand why it's causing um, a, a lot of angst. Uh, it, it, you know, it yeah. certainly should. Exactly. It should. And I mean, you know, I think that as conservatives, we'll we'll get into situations where, um, you know, we'll we'll push back against the narrative that something like a Black Lives Matter might put forward. Sure. Right. And so I think as conservatives, we have we have all the room in the world to quibble about things like critical race theory and the you know the day to day reality of, of structural racism and things like that. But I do think one of the things that we need to step back and recognize is no one can watch that video and not be really stunned at what they're seeing. And it's impossible to ignore the color of the skin of the people involved. And I, I think we just as we need to step up and realize that we're not going to be able to be a pro-life party if someone's life can be taken from him for a minor, minor misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I, I think we're both on the same page as far as whether this person's life should be taken. The answer to that would be no. Um, I, I do think that, you know, you I wonder if. Um, we know with 100 percent certainty here that race is going to be part of the reaction. We don't necessarily sure. know it was if it was part of the motivation in this particular uh, incident. Yeah. Um, does that matter? Because I, 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 I part of me thinks it's such a big part of the reaction is going to have to be addressed anyway. Um, but there is that line of, of, of trying to figure out. This could just be really bad police work. This could be a story where police yeah. uh, police power is really the question that uh, that should be uh, focused on. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that for me, I feel like we need to keep the option open that race could play in here, right? Mm-hmm. It's impossible to know without knowing the individuals involved that that's the case. And so I think it's more than we need to keep an open mind. But you're right. I mean, you can't be someone who's concerned about the scope and size of government and not be concerned that an unarmed man who has been taken in by the law for an incredibly minor offense is going to lose his life by an agent of the state. Yeah, it really is incomprehensible. And it is one of those uh, different things. Libertarians will point this out at, at times that conservatives are very friendly to you know military and police. And these are big government sure. institutions. Um, and I, I absolutely tend to uh, see, I think, the police's side in a lot of these cases, regardless of color. Um, but this one is just impossible to do it. I, I want to do it, frankly. I want to find the reason yeah. where this was OK, it, because it shines such a negative light on everything in the country. Um, but I, we can lose sight of, of this being um, uh, an incident, right, rather than a pattern. Yeah. I think like if we were to say if a black person was to kill a white person and we were saying, hey, that shows all black people are murderers. Really bad idea. The same thing here. We yeah. can't get we can't lose sight of the idea that this is we have a system that deals with a um, of someone who commits a murder. We need that system to play <clears throat> out. But it does not shine a light on every police officer and, and paint these broad strokes that I think the media is going to try to paint here. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, and, you know, it's it can be easy and it can be tempting to, I think, to paint in those broad strokes because it's a simple and easy narrative, right? You don't have to worry about as many things or as many intellectual arguments that you've got to button up. So uh, I'm worried that it will go in that direction. There's already been, you know, celebrities and athletes and other folks who have spoken out and, and spoken out along those lines. And I think there's probably going to be a rush to demonize it. But 
I think I'm equally worried that there might not be enough conservatives who give it the light of day to ask some serious questions mm-hmm. about how race could have been a factor in this and step back and look. You know, I mean, the, the statistics are pretty telling that police officers are more likely to escalate force when they're interacting with a member of a minority community. They're more likely to interact with members of minority communities on random stops and frisks as, we, as we've seen for decades. And so I'm just I'm worried that. Uh, while yes, we shouldn't we shouldn't go hard charging and say this evil racist cop throw the book at him he's terrible. Um, I do think we need to see that even if this is an even if this is an isolated incident for the folks involved, sure, it, there's a reason that this narrative is out there and why so many people are so frustrated when they see something like this happen. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely wise to to consider. Um, let me uh, let me give you one more here as two completely white guys. Um, let's now speculate on what the right thing to do is here, because I get when when the when we have uh, we have a situation like, you know, going back in the, in the day, the OJ days and stuff, when there are riots. Yeah. The, the the concept a lot of times and then I'm thinking of, um, uh, you know, Reginald Denny and all of those things that that, that whole L.A. riots situation. Sure. Um, the, the idea is we go for justice. We don't get it. We we were marching in the streets. Right. And here we have a system. The system, I think, should do three things, which is fire these guys, charge them and convict them. Now, they get the legal rights that I don't get to decide that. But I mean, in my mind, as watching a video is where I where I am right now. If that does happen, is this something that they that the average person is supposed to just sit back and take? Is it something that I mean, do you go to the streets after you get a conviction? I mean, we do have a system of justice here that we're that's trying to handle this problem, but I understand why it wouldn't feel like it was really handled. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, it, it brings to mind the Amadou Diallo shooting right in New York a number of years ago, where you did have people in the street, and that was where kind of this no justice, no peace as a as a narrative started in a lot of ways for for police shootings. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think first you have to let the process play out, right? You can't convict the system w- without giving it a chance to do what it purports to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that even if there are convictions, even if there are firings, I think there are probably deep systemic questions that we need to wrestle with better as a society about why does this happen? Why did this happen in this case? Um, why are we seeing the people whom we have empowered and given special legal rights, you know, and police officers to, to help keep order and maintain laws and keep all of us safe? Why are we seeing that failing to happen here? Um, so I guess my takeaway from, uh, you know, as, as to our guys in a lot of ways trying to figure out what what we can do in this situation, I think part of it is keep an open mind, keep an open mind that race could be an important factor here. Um, and then not only keep an open mind in this specific case, but keep an open mind that more broadly the experience that guys like you and I have when we walk out onto the street, when we're interacting with a police officer, whatever it may be, that's not that's not the experience of a lot of folks in minority communities across this country. And I think we, particularly as conservatives, need to have more empathy about that point. Well, I was I was, you know, if there's anything to enjoy over the coronavirus era, I was enjoying the fact that everyone was inside and therefore not doing lots of things stupid in public. Um, unfortunately, yeah. we're ending that that part of it. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know where else we go from here. We're going to see more of this stuff. but Hopefully not. Uh, Drew, Drew Holden uh, from The Resurgent. Uh, thanks so much again for coming on the program. We're back in a second. Tell the world that you know the truth. You know, coffee always tastes better when you're drinking the truth. Andrew Cuomo is awful. We all know Andrew Cuomo is awful. If you listen to this show, you definitely know. 
Andrew Cuomo is awful. I just want a mug that says Andrew Cuomo is awful. I don't know if any of you are going to buy it. Frankly, I don't care if you buy it, but I'm going to buy it and I'm going to have one and I'm going to bring it right here on the set because Andrew Cuomo is awful. You can go to stewdoesmerch.com if you want to participate in this uh, nonsense that we do here every day. A couple of reviews coming in from uh, iTunes. Uh, Peter said, or Parker says, it's great. Whatever. Stu reminds me of Tucker Carlson, but better. I mean, I think even Tucker would agree with that. We will uh, see you tomorrow.